0: Welcome to Sports Faith, a ministry dedicated to introducing people to God through sports. Our prayer? That God uses us to build a stronger team. We're just talking sports as we share the message of faith. Sports Faith doesn't care what religious team you play for. So get up off the bench, join us on the field of great conversation. He's provided the playbook, we deliver the message.
1: Today's podcast is brought to you by OSMS, Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Specialists of Green Bay and the Fox Cities. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Elbiero, orthopedic surgeon and physician owner at OSMS. Accidents happen, whether it's a fall, a sports injury, an injury at work, or a new pain that you're not exactly sure how it got there. If you find yourself in need of care quickly, visit our walk-in acute injury clinic in Green Bay or Nina. You'll see an orthopedic doctor without an appointment saving you something extremely valuable, your time. Learn more at osmsgb.com slash AIC. And it's now time for episode 34 of the Sports Faith Podcast. I am Craig Bowen, your host, and today's podcast is brought to you by OSMS, orthopedic and sports medicine specialists of the Green Bay Area and the Fox Cities. Give them a call today at 920 430 113. Give us a follow on Twitter if you can at SportsFaith One. That's at SportsFaith the number one. And go to our website, sportsfaith.com, and check out our information and sign up for our newsletter and our play of the day from the Ultimate Playbook. And now we welcome in a former NFL player, nine-year NFL player, and a Super Bowl champion. It's Don Beebe joining us today. Good morning, Don. Thanks for joining us on the Sports Faith Podcast.
0: Yeah, good morning, Craig. It's great to be here.
1: All right. You know, it's interesting when you bring up the name Dom Beebe, two things come to mind generally. One of them, if you follow football, you know that you were one of the fastest players on the field. 4.21, you were clocked on a 40 back in the day at the NFL Combine. And then, of course, the other thing that everybody talks about, I'm sure you get questioned about this all the time, and we're going to talk about it, is the play in Super Bowl twenty-seven against the Dallas Cowboys where you ran down Leon Lett, one of the best hustle plays you'd ever see in a blowout situation. Um, but maybe mention that real quickly. Those two things, are those kind of the top two things that you get hit with when when people approach you and want to talk football? Yeah,
0: no question, the Leon Lett play. It's, uh, <laughs> we're going on 29 years, and, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about it more later, but uh, it is definitely a play. Uh, and, the, and, yes, the 40-yard dash speed, um, I get that a lot as well.
1: Yeah, that play in the Super Bowl, unbelievable. Actually, top 10 most memorable play is in the NFL. It was given that ranking back in 1993, and there's been a lot of history in the NFL, obviously. So to make that play get into the top 10, pretty impressive indeed. But I talked about your nine years in the NFL. Currently, you are the head coach of a Division three school, Aurora University, down in Aurora, Illinois, where you've had a ton of success as a coach, but I want to go backwards here a little bit, Don, and talk about your early life and 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 your early part of your career. Uh, very much an underdog, if you will. You were not highly recruited. In fact, I want you to talk about the story. Once you were out of high school, you didn't go right into college, not being recruited. But uh, three years, I got it in my notes, hanging aluminum siding. That is what you did for about three years before you had the opportunity to move on and play football at Shadron State uh, College. that That is in uh, Western Nebraska. But let's talk about those early years and and how you really had to work your way into even getting to where you were in the NFL.
0: Yeah. Actually, um, in, in my notes, I, I may have misspoke a little bit. I actually, right out of high school, had one school come after me. It was Western Illinois. No, oh, you did? Okay. I gave it up. I gave that up. So I, I actually... Um, I just was. I went there for the two week camp. It was really, really just a hot summer. I was girl sick and homesick, and that girl, <laughs> that girl now is my wife of 30, 33 years and four kids. So it was well worth leaving. It was um, awesome. Yeah. So I only lasted two weeks at the Division One level, and then uh, I just left. I uh, just wasn't ready for the college scene. Um, very introverted kid, um, homebody kid but love sports and I love the Lord. And, um, mm. and I work construction, like you said, I work construction for three years and it took three years for me to kind of have God work on me and kind of led me to say, Hey, Don, I want you to go back. And I was like, go back where <laughs> and it was basically go back. Cause of my, you know, my passion was always playing sports. And so long story short, in that sense, um, I got a call out of the blue, Craig, from Western Illinois. They wanted me to come back. And so they called me and this was, I graduated high school in 83 and this was now May of 1986 or to June in 1986. And I get this call and this was after praying through this now
1: yes, um,
0: that I was now ready because you think about this for a second, Craig, now that I'm a recruiter at the college level, if a kid came to me and left after two weeks, you know, I'm probably going to say, Hey, good luck to you. You know. Uh, goodbye. Uh, but I'm probably not going to call them back. Not just one year later or two years later, but three years later. Think about that. Yeah. They didn't call me after one year. They didn't call me after two years and they, and God knew I wasn't ready, you know, but three years later I get this call out of the blue and, and it was the coach that recruited me three years previous. His name was Brad Smith. And, um, and he said, Hey, would you ever consider coming back? I was like, wow, Really? I said, yeah, I was. I was just actually praying about this and thinking about this. I would love to come back. And he told me, he says, well, I just got to let you know, we'd love to have you back, but you only got two years left of your eligibility. And I was like, why? He says, because once you started, your time clock was started and you only get four. Oh, yeah. sure, your year, five years to complete. Well, I already lost three of it. Yeah. Okay. And so then I, I went back, was found ineligible because of lack of transfer credit hours from a JUCO that I was going to just on night school and stuff. And. And so I couldn't even play that year, came back again um, and, and still had a heart and desire to play uh, college football and a passion to play in the NFL, believe it or not. And then uh, I went back again uh, in 87, with now only one year of eligibility. Mm. And they took me uh, again. I went back uh, in the spring of 1987, and I'll never forget it. I, I won the starting job as an ex-receiver, which was crazy in itself to even be able to do that and without even ever playing a down. And I always tell people that my algebra, my uh, introduction to the NFL started before I ever played a down in college football. Not NFL, college football. And people mm-hmm. were like, how's that even happen? And I said, because you know, my dad didn't play or anything like that, right? How's that happen? <laughs> And I'll tell you how it happened. It was in that spring when I went back. I was now a senior, and I wasn't even invited to the pro day. And what a pro day is is NFL teams come to the college and they do this. They work you out. Well, I would not even invited. I just happened to walk out of math class in this one building that was next door to the indoor facility at Western Illinois, and I walked in the facility, and I never did that. But that day I did. And I walked in. There's there's my friends that I just came out of spring ball with running the 40 for NFL scouts. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> and the coach said, what was happening? I said, man, can I run? He said, no, Don, you're not on any film. Don't worry about it. I said, coach, man, it'd be great. I would love to, man. He says, all right, fine. He went and asked this guy with a star on wow. his chest, right? Yeah. Obviously the scout of the Cowboys. And it was like 40 yards away. And I could see the guy saying, yeah, who cares? Let him run, you know? Well, I was in jean shorts and sandals. <laughs> and and I never had been timed in the forty before, so I had no idea. Back in not my day, we didn't have forty yard dash timing. So, oh, right without warming up, I f- kicked off my sandals and jean shorts, got in line, and I ran the forty for the first time ever. And as soon as I got done, that star on the chest was on a beeline for me. Oh yeah, you could tell those guys don't talk to anybody on this day. They just move on, and they you know they might have small talk, but this guy. Had an intention to come to talk to me, and he said, What is your name? <laughs> Just like that. I said, Don Beebe, Don Beebe, what number are you on film? I said, Well, I'm a 50 year senior, I've never played before. He started laughing. And he says, Son, I've been doing this 21 years. I've and he showed me the watch. He says, I've never timed anybody that fast. And It was a 432. And, and I looked at him and I said, Is that fast? <laughs> <He> said, <laughs> you didn't even know, yeah. Oh, I had no idea. He said, yeah. yeah, that's pretty fast. So that's where it started. And they said, well, Word we're going to keep our eye on you. So then I played that year, had a great year at Western and out, out, out of eligibility, petitioned the NCAA. They said no. But a, a, a coach of mine came to me at Western Illinois and said, man, you can play at the NAI level. I said, mm-hmm. really? I said, what is that? <laughs> he goes, it's <laughs> a completely different conference. And yeah. I said, okay. He So I went home, Sugar Grove, Illinois, in the suburbs of Chicago. And I would go to the Sugar Grove Library, and I'm looking for an NAI school, right? Because mm-hmm. I have to go somewhere where, A, they're successful. B, they're, they, they're going to have NFL scouts come to this place and look at me. Right. And I'm going to be able to contribute and play, right? So I had no idea uh, where to go. And I started looking at schools that were local. There's Illinois Benedictine right here in Lyle, Illinois. There's Hillsdale or Hills something over in Michigan. and Hillsdale, yes. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll call them and try them. So I go to Benedictine for a visit. They said, everything you wanted to hear. You're going to be a star here. We know you have NFL teams. You're going to be the X guy We got a guy that could, that over last year threw for over 3,000 yards, which back that day was a lot of yards. Yes. And he said, you're going to be the starter. It was local. It was 25 minutes from home. I was engaged to be married at this time now, five years out of high school and and again, it was my high school sweetheart that we met in kindergarten, by the way. <laughs> I know, crazy. Wow. <laughs> I know. So I, I went through all this, but yet I didn't feel comfortable. It was the Holy Spirit just kind of speaking to me. And I was like, man, if it's not here, Lord, where is it? Hmm. Well, with a week and a half left to make my decision, because I had to transfer to be eligible for this school the next fall. I had to be there in the spring. Sure. Well, I get a call. I'm walking through the kitchen of my mom and dad's house. And the phone rang and picked it up. And it was Brad Smith. And Brad Smith was a guy, if you remember, was a guy that recruited me five years previous when I was in high school. He's at Western Illinois. Well, now he was the head coach at Shadron State. And so he, I get on the phone. He goes, Donnie, he says, I hear you're looking for an NAI school. And I said, yeah, I am. I said, are you at one? He goes, yes, I am. I'm at Shadron State. I said, what? I said, where's that coach? He goes, Nebraska. I said, Nebraska? I'd never been in Iowa, let alone Nebraska, right? Right. Back then. I didn't go grab my cell phone. I had to go get my dad's Atlas in the truck. <laughs> so Yes, remember yeah. those. Yeah, so I'm looking through the Atlas. I'm looking around Omaha, Lincoln, and all these things. And, 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 no, it's it's eight hours on the other side of the state, about an hour and a half south of Mount Rushmore, in the middle wow. of nowhere, the end of the earth, Nebraska. And I was like, oh, Coach, there ain't no way I'm going there. It's 15 hours away from home, Coach. I'm, I'm you know – he goes, honey, just and he said something i will never forget. He's a great recruit. He said, Pray about it because he knew I was a man of faith. He said, Pray. Yeah. Well, I did. And I was really, I got Beyonce Craig. I did not want to go there. I was denying. I was like, There ain't no way, God. And lo and behold, a couple of days later, I called him back and I said, Coach, would you come out to Shear Grove and sit with my mom and dad and my fiance? He was out there a day later. You know, and I was hoping that he wasn't going to come because that would be my out, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> he showed up and I asked him a bunch of questions and they were terrible, terrible football program, had no quarterback, it was an incoming freshman that was 5'7 out of Converse, Texas that was going to be the guy. And I was like, Lord, right. really? This is where I'm going to get to the NFL and my passion and dream, and this is where you want me to go? I said, okay, I'm going. Hmm. If that's where I, it is, I'm going. So I just had a leap of faith and went. Next thing you know, Craig... I go out there, played great that one year, and and still some NFL hopefuls. But I had a great workout at the combine, as you said, and I set the record uh, for the fastest forty time with Deion Sanders in nineteen eighty, yes. uh, yes. actually spring of eighty nine, and I ran a four two five, and uh, that record stood for seventeen years, and until Chris Johnson broke it. But it changed my world. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I landed up being the first pick in the third round of the Buffalo Bills in the 18, 90, 1989 draft, which, you know, if that's not a God thing, Craig, I don't know what is. And I know what, that's a, what a story. But but that's how it all started for me and where it got turned. And then, then I had a great and, and awesome career with the Buffalo Bills and the Packers.
1: Yeah, boy, what a story. I, this is why we like doing these podcasts. You, you get to learn things that trust me there's some very knowledgeable football fans out there that follow everything and they know you very well but they may not have known a lot of what you just talked about so yeah yeah, we always talk about God's plan you know yeah and and you're a perfect example of that you you didn't think that plan looked very good at all but boy did it turn out to be you know one of the great blessings in your life and it, it turned your life completely around at least from a career standpoint and and I think there's something to be said about, you know, strong faith. Strong faith led you to that school in Nebraska.
0: It really did. Yeah, you know, and, and let me add to that too, Craig, because I get that question a lot is, how did you know God wanted you to go to Shadron? I mean, how, does you, how do you know that God wants you to do certain things? And I always say to them, well, I'm not always 100% sure. Right. <laughs> but I will say this is that, first of all, you can't hear God unless he's your father. And he can't be mm. your father unless you ask him to come into your heart. Mm. And you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, as it says in John 3, 3, when, he, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. And so yes. I understood at a young age what a relationship with Jesus Christ was. So in that respect, I was able to hear the father. So then it comes to the second mm. part. Are you willing to listen? Yeah. So yeah, there's people out there that have a relationship with Jesus, but they're trying to do it on their own. Just let the father be the father and guide you and let the open and shut the doors. And that's what I've tried to do really hard in my life is just listen to the father. Uh, And so I would encourage people that are listening is a one, get a relationship with Jesus, ask him to come into your heart. And then two, once you do that, and and he is your true father, then just let him work, let him, let him work your life and, and just sit there and pray and read the word and, be quiet, as it says in Psalms 46, 10. Be still and know that I'm God and just be quiet and let him work in your life. And that's what I would encourage people to do. Yeah, love the advice. Love the advice. That's
1: why we do these things. Somebody's going to see this, you know. Somebody's going to hear what you just said, and it may change a life. We may yeah. not know it, uh, but with some of the things you just said, uh, it only needs to be heard by one person, and that's one life that we potentially just changed in the last, yeah the timer says just over 15 minutes Yeah, uh, yeah of yeah. some of the stuff that we just discussed, but uh, let's talk about your career a little bit. Obviously you mentioned a third round draft pick of Buffalo. You were the actual first pick of Buffalo's draft that year. So I don't know if they had made a trade or something, but they didn't have two picks. First and second
0: rounders were gone apparently. And you yeah, were so the first the year, draft pick. The year before, I think it was, or maybe the year before that, but they, they had a the Cornelius Bennett trade with Indianapolis Colts. They lost. I remember that. Yeah. So they lost their first and second round pick for that 1989 draft. And so I was, I was yep. the guy and I could be honest with you, man, being an introverted kid, that was a, that was a whole another thing for me.
1: And I had to yep. get used
0: to this, the NFL world is a different world. And boy, yep. I knew one thing when I got into it, I did not want to get caught up in it. I did not want to change as a person. Um, I wanted to be the same who my mom and dad raised and who the Lord uh, created uh, and I didn't want to go down a path of fame and fortune and the NFL thing. I did not want to live that life. And, and I hope that I haven't.
1: Yeah. And uh, like the Bible also says, money is the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Yes. yes that's is. the problem with the NFL and other professional sports and athletes, right? They get caught up in the money.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's more than just the money. It's, it's the, every time you go somewhere, you feel like you're important. You know what? I'm filthy rags. I'm just like anybody else, you know, and in God's eyes, I'm just trying to do what God's called me to do. Uh, I'm no better than anybody else. And I think that's the, that's probably in a lot of ways, a bigger issue than just the money. It's you think you're better than you're not, you're just another human being. So when you go out in public, treat people just like they would want them to treat you. Right. And that's also biblical. So uh, that's where I've tried to keep a focus throughout my career and life. And, And hopefully I've done a a decent job of that.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think what you're getting at there is uh, every life is the same. God doesn't look at you any differently just because you make a million dollars a year versus $30,000 a year. But let's talk about your NFL career here further. 116 games, 219 receptions, 3,400 plus yards, 23 touchdowns. Most people are going to look at that and say, pretty pedestrian numbers, but I think Something that most people may not realize about you and and other athletes like yourself is, and every team needs this, and I like to reference uh, basketball players. You know, that guy that comes off the bench and he'll get you that loose ball, get you the rebound. Football, same way. Special teams help out there. Make that big catch on third down and six across the middle. There's all these little intangibles, and and I think that's what you brought. Maybe talk about your skill set. Uh, and and talk about playing with Buffalo for those first, what, uh, seven years of your career or so. Yeah. Um, just talk about your game a little bit and what you brought to the table, because those aren't Randy Moss numbers by any means yeah. when you're talking statistics, but statistics are kind of for losers. The only statistic that matters in sports is winning and losing. But, but just talk about that if you can a
0: little bit. Sure. So three things. One is uh, I played in an era that didn't throw it 30 to 40, 50 times. Good point. Secondly, I played with two Hall of Famers, James Lofton and Andre Reed, uh, who were better than me. Uh, they were really good. Yes, they uh, were. Yep. Yeah. And, and thirdly, I was hurt every year. Uh, I actually had one year in my nine years that I didn't miss significant time. And that actually was the 96th season that we won it with the pack. That was the only year that I played every game and wasn't hurt. Mm-hmm. So I, I was uh, unfortunate in the realm of, of having setbacks with injuries. Um, but I also say this, that's what God's plan was for me. And I enjoyed every minute of it. I loved it. Um, I was always on a winning team. Get this, uh, Craig, here's another st- statistic for you. <laughs> the last time I was on a uh, team as a as a player uh, going all the way a long time ago uh, to a, uh, and being a head coach, last time I was on a team that was under 500 was my junior in high school. That was 39 years ago. My goodness. Yeah, so I'd, I've been around winners my whole life. Winner in yeah. high school, win in college, winning professionally. And um, and I've just been around guys and girls that knew how to win because I coach girls teams too, uh, and they just knew how to win. Um, so, I, you know, I, and again, I don't take any credit for that. That was just God's path for me. I'm actually, in in a lot of ways, Craig, I'm glad that I wasn't. Uh, in that limelight, more like in Randy Moss, this being the name that you chose. I'm glad yeah. I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not that. Uh, I love my wife and four kids. I love to go out in public and not no, being noticed, unless I'm in Wisconsin or Western New York. <laughs> right. so, I, I, I I I enjoy that. I I love a simple life, um, and I know what's more important. And I my faith mm-hmm. is the most important. My wife is second, and then my kids, and that will never change.
1: Yeah, and football might be fourth, right?
0: Yeah, it's down the list. I live by the fourth face. Yeah, we got a sign down. We got a sign
1: down in our basement. I'm looking at it right now. Um, it's a picture of Aaron Rodgers pointing to the sky, and it says "God, family, and the Green Bay Packers" yeah. in that order.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I live faith, family, friends, and then football. That's how I live my life.
1: Yeah, I think you knew your role, though your role you you knew it well with Buffalo. You mentioned James Lofton and Andre Reed. Those guys were the staples in the receiving game, but you always need that third receiver, and you were kind of the garbage man. You kind of picked up the crumbs a little bit, uh, but you were very skilled in the special teams game as well. And one of the great quotes that I saw in your bio, and I don't remember this being said, but um, Brett Favre, quote, "Uh, we would have never won Super Bowl 31 without Don Beebe. That's a pretty big comment coming from one of the great Packers.
0: Yeah, and the reason Brett said that was that Monday night against the 49ers when we lost Robert Brooks for the year he tore his ACL, I think, on the first play of the game. I believe he did, right? Yes. Yeah. So uh, I came in that game and just filling in a role for Robert um, and had the game of my life. Uh, I think it was, a, uh, if I remember right, 11 catches for 220 yards and a touchdown. Wow. And uh, and God just allowed me to have a great moment uh, in time to fill in for uh, a friend that got hurt. And I think that's what Brett meant. I mean, if we lose that game, we probably got have to go to the 49ers in the playoffs instead of them coming to us. And that yeah. was big.
1: So he wasn't referencing necessarily the Super Bowl game where Desmond Howard was the MVP. Correct. He wasn't necessarily referencing that. He was referencing the that's San true. Francisco game, with le- which led to home field advantage, basically. That's true. Yep. That's very, very interesting. interesting. Yeah, Got to ask you about Buffalo and Green Bay. I sit right here in Green Bay, Wisconsin. We talked off the air. I'm about five miles from Lambeau Field. But um, talk about playing in Buffalo and Green Bay, two of the small market, two of the probably small markets, right? I know Green Bay obviously is, and Buffalo is right there as well. Compare the two, if you will. Very similar fan base, very rabid fans. I mean, Green Bay Packer football here is – is a religion basically. And I think you could almost say the same thing about Buffalo, but talk about playing in those two cities. And then maybe if you can tie in Marv Levy and Mike Holmgren, because those two guys staples with both of those organizations, Uh, talk about Buffalo green Bay, if you will. Sure. Um,
0: Well, first of all, if if, as a player coming out in the draft or, you know, uh, or a free agent, you're kind of like, man, we're, where are we going to go, right? My wife wanted to go to Tampa Bay because she loves Florida, right—the sun <laughs> and the beach. Um, and no, God sent us to, to Buffalo, right? Yeah, uh, nice
1: and warm up there in the winter. Yes,
0: but I've always had the—I've always had the deal. I remember sitting there on draft day, never dreading. Oh man, I hope I get drafted. I hope I get drafted here. I didn't really care. No, I just knew going into that day that God had already paved this path. All I need to do is follow. So wherever God chooses. I'm going to enjoy it and be the best that I can. And boy, this is why we follow the Lord. If I knew what I know now, there is absolutely no question I would choose Buffalo and Green Bay to play my career. No question. Yeah. I couldn't pick two better places to play. And, um, and I remember when, after playing six years in Buffalo, and I knew my time was up in Buffalo, uh, because they were moving in a new direction. We had just lost again our four suit bowl now and they were kind of moving with a newer crowd. James Lofton still was a teammate and he said, Beads, man, if you get a chance to sign with the Packers, there's nothing like Lambeau. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, <clears throat> we contacted them. They didn't want me. Ron Wolf didn't want me, but Mike did in ninety-seven. So I went to the Panthers. Or I mean, I'm sorry, in ninety-five. So I went to the Panthers for a year. And mm-hmm. then after that one year, we contacted the Packers again. And then Mike won out <laughs> and then I, I became a Packer. Right. Um, yeah. So, and then I played for, you know, unbelievable coaches, hall of fame, Marv Levy, soon to be probably hall of yeah. fame. Mike Lindgren. I would agree. So, and here's what I learned from both of them. First of all, Marv Levy is one of the most humble human beings as a superstar hall of fame personality I've ever met. Uh, 90, 93 years old, Still the kindest man. I still talk to him at least once or twice a year. I took the job at Aurora Christian in 2004, high school. He did the opening comments. Then I got the job at AU, the Aurora University, in um, in 2019, and he came and did homecoming uh, for me that day. So I still have a really good relationship with Coach Levy. I love the man. I learned a lot how to treat people. I learned a lot how to treat people. I learned a lot about how to find an individual in your program or your business that has character. That is absolutely the number one thing that Coach Levy would would look for was character. And boy, Mm -hmm. I just, I love that man. Uh, Mike Holmgren, I've learned more about football in offense than Mike Holmgren than any other man. Maybe everybody else combined. Yeah. And I, I have a lot of Mike in me as far as coaching style. Um, So the combination of the two men, uh, boy, I I really am so grateful and thankful that it's formed the way I coach. And I really liked and was blessed to be able to round be two Hall of Fame guys in my mind.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Are you a little bit more like Marv Levy or Mark Holmgren? I think you kind of answered that from an offensive standpoint. Do you guys throw the ball generally quite a bit at Aurora? What's kind of your offensive play calling style? And do you call the
0: plays? I do. I do call the plays. I think that's a real passion of mine. I don't know if I'll ever give that up. I love the competition. I love mm-hmm. to draw plays in the middle of the game even sometimes. If I see something, just draw it in the dirt even. yeah. Um, I, I, I just love it. You know, that's a passion of mine. So I, I will always probably call the plays. Um, yeah, so the off, I've always believed this, and this is my uh philosophy, is you have to be able to run the football and you have to be able to pass. So he tried to keep it 60, 40, 40, 60, 50, 50, mm-hmm. depending on. I'm the same way. People think that we line up and throw it all over the field, which <laughs> we do, but we still run the football. Uh, every year that I've coached, we've had a, a, a thousand yard rusher in, in almost a 3000 yard passer. Um, for example, last year, we had a quarterback that threw 33, 3400 yards and we had, a, and we rushed for 2,500 as a team. Holy so wow. very we, impressive. we put up a, a lot of yards. So it's, it's I I believe that because you don't ever want to become one dimensional, and I'm a firm believer that if you want to want to win a Super Bowl or a high school championship or a national championship, you got to be able to run the ball and stop the run. You just have to. Um, yeah. and, and today's age in the NFL is different than it was in my era, but they but I think what Aaron Rodgers and offenses like that they actually still run the football, but what they'll do and they do I think the best at it is they dink and dunk, and that becomes their run game. They'll put the yeah. ball in a wideout's hands or the running back's hands Absolutely. on a flat route or a, or, a, or a flare route or a slip screen or anything like that. And it, it really is a pass, but really it's a run.
1: Yeah, you see yeah. the Packers do that quite a bit, especially when they had Devontae Adams. How many yep. times did you see a ball maybe even thrown almost laterally, just a simple yep. two-step drop and boom, get it out there, and that that's kind of their running game. and. Yep. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. You got to have some balance. And, uh, and you guys had that in Buffalo right. and you had it in Green Bay. You know, Thurman Thomas, one of the greats. Uh, talk about Jim Kelly. I wanted to get into this a little bit. Jim Kelly, Brett Favre. Could there be two guys? Yeah, maybe their skill sets were a little bit different in different ways. But are there two quarterbacks in the history of the game that you could compare that were so... Maybe talk about their
0: similarities because I think there's quite a few between Jim <laughs> Kelly and Brett Favre. Yeah. So, again, fortunate to play with two Hall of Fame quarterbacks and, and the two greatest defensive ends that were playing, Bruce Smith and Reggie White. For sure. So, uh, you know, I've d- I was around a lot of greatness. Very fortunate to be around that. And and I, I say this, the, the bravado, uh, the moxie that Brett and Jim have are very similar. Mm-hmm. They're schoolboy kids playing in the backyard, but it's in front of 80,000. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. They, their mentality is just fun loving and just let's go out and, and, and just enjoy what we do. And, and I got to tell you, that in itself was so much fun to play for and with. Mm. And the only difference that I would say in the two styles, both big gunslingers, uh, both linebacker mentality, playing the quarterback mm. position. The only difference is Brett made more plays outside the pocket on the run and doing crazy things as opposed to yeah. where Jim was just strictly a, a pocket passer. Yeah.
1: Um, very probably, much like Tom Brady, probably. Right. He's got more of a Tom Brady style, not very reckless. Yeah. Brett was a little bit, you know, yeah. they
0: called him a gunslinger for a reason, right? It's exactly right. They were very similar in that area. However, I would say this, um, Jim Kelly is one of the most loyal people I've ever met. Uh, Jim Kelly has been through a lot. I've seen yeah. Jim Kelly's life uh, just, Changed dramatically uh, from a guy that was always a great person, but now he loves the Lord with all his heart. Mm. Uh, had beat cancer three times, lost his son uh, mm. at, at uh, eight and a half years old, yeah. and um, and just seeing him go through all that uh, one of the greatest human beings still that I've ever met. So, to the let me give you an example is. Uh, 96, we win the Super Bowl. Actually, was it was February or late January of 97. right? And my best friend from high school, his name was Jeff Still. He he comes to the game. He's at the game, and we're. I remember the night before the game, we're out, or maybe it was two nights before the game, we're out throwing a Nerf ball around the downtown New Orleans with my brother and and then Jeff's brother Jimmy, and we were just having a time of our lives, like we were five years old again, right? Sure. Well, one month later, uh, uh, Diane and I, my wife and I, were on a, our first cruise. We're on a Packer cruise, and I get an emergency phone call from my mom that Jeff was killed uh, by a drunk driver. Oh. Drunk driver hit him right in the head on, going sixty-five miles an hour, shoved him all the way into the trunk of his car, oh. and he died the next morning. He actually lived through the night, so I lost my best friend. Mm. Why do I bring this up? Is because I we left the cruise. Flew out of Puerto Rico, got home. The funeral was that Friday, and I and at the Friday it was a celebration because he just gave his heart to Christ six months before that. My Crazy God. that God would take him at that time, but yet his his family, a lot of his family, got saved through all that. So that's why tragedies. That's why bad things happen to good people because God's always in control, and we just ne- we just need to let God's mm. glory be glorified, and it was in that situation. Mm. So wow. So one month later. I was like, I, his two small boys, he had a, a two-year-old and a two-month-old that was going to grow up, never knowing his dad. And he was big into education, Jeff was. He was a football, high school football coach and a teacher. And I said, I, I'm going to run a football camp. I'm going to raise as much money as I can in this football camp. Who was the first guy I call? Jim Kelly. Yeah. I get him on the phone, Jim, look, this is what happened. He goes, Beebs, I'm really sorry what, what happened. I said, you know, Jim, I'm going to run this football camp. It's going to be next month. Would you come? And he said, hmm. Beeps, gosh, I'm in Miami doing an event in Miami. He says, Man, I'm really sorry. I would love to be there. He said, But you know, let me let me let me try something. I'll call you back in like five, 10 minutes. So he calls me back five, 10 minutes. He said, Beebs, guess what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get the flight out the day before. I'm gonna fly back to Buffalo, grab my stuff, and I'll fly out the early next morning. Just pick me up at the airport. And he came to that. That's what kind of guy Jim wow. Kelly is. I mean, yeah. just a loyal person. And we raised 24 grand that went into a fund when they were two years old and two months old and that paid for their college, you know, incredible. Um, Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's guys like that. And then Reggie white was the other guy came in Desmond Howard. So those three guys came to that camp and it was just, it was awesome.
1: Yeah. That that's a great story right there. I, I love what you said about, yeah. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's always a question that no matter how strong a Christian you are, you always have to have that in the back of your mind. Like why, why do certain tragedies happen and, yeah. uh, there, there's even a plan behind that, but that's very difficult for us to see. Yeah. That's really a cloudy is. picture.
0: It really is because I get that question a lot. Matter of fact, I, I, I threw out, cause I run the Bible study at our, our, uh, Royal University mm-hmm. football team yeah. and, um, and we have it Fridays during the season. But, um, I, I last year I said, I threw out a bunch of things and I said, okay, ask me questions of what you would like to cover this year. And one of the questions, why did good thing, bad things happen to good people? And so I had a a sermon on that and I preached on that. And I said, the first thing we got to understand is, are you a good person? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. we all think we're good people. Scripture calls us filthy rags. Yeah, We're we're not good people. Okay. In the sense of what you think you are, we all lie, cheat, steal, uh, have terrible thoughts. We're not good people. So the first thing we got to do is let's get over that. We're good people. Secondly, Mm -hmm. We got to understand God's way and not ours. God says my ways are not your ways, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and so once you understand that and then you look at circumstances um, like the death of Jeff, uh, like so many issues that people have, if we just allow God to be God through that, I promise you this, he will be glorified through it and you'll be a better person through it no matter what it is. And so we just need to get on our knees and we just need to let God be God. And this has happened so many times in my life. And let me just throw this interject this in. I'm sure you probably bring this up later is my son, Chad. Um, yes. You know, Chad is now entering his fifth year in the league. There's no way Chad should played be playing in the NFL. I shouldn't have. He shouldn't have. But it was just God's path in, in direction for our lives. My son has gone 11 of the last 12 years. With reconstructive surgery or major time loss during the season, eleven of twelve years going back to his sophomore year in high school, where he broke his foot, his junior year, which is the most important year for college, right? Broke his yeah. collarbone twice, twice, uh, broke his arm his senior year, and then his whole college career was even worse to the point where he had a rib lacerated his liver and kidney. They had to rush him to a hospital at one time. He said two reconstructive ankle surgeries while he was in Minnesota, his right and his left. And just mm-hmm. to put that in perspective, the Vikings doctor is one of the top, if not the top, ankle doctor in the country. And he said, I've only seen about six or seven of these. And usually they're car accidents. You don't right. see surgery." That's how rare it is because he tall he tore all four ligaments on his ankle where it was pretty much detached from his body. Well, he will he kept coming back. <laughs> and how he got with the Vikings as a child is an amazing in himself. And think about this. People always look at odds. There are no odds when it comes to God. So let's <laughs> just let's just forget odds. Yeah. Chad goes to the Vikings, and you know the story. Chad goes to the Vikings. In 2018, I believe it was, and and just a year or two before that, they had a guy in the first round draft named Laquan Treadwell. If you were to look at Laquan Treadwell and Chad Beebe side by side, and who are you going to draft and keep? Huh, no brainer, Laquan Treadwell. You could argue Laquan Tread- and I'm from Illinois. You could argue Laquan Treadwell is the greatest wideout in Illinois history in high school. Yep. You could definitely argue that he's the greatest wideout in Southern Mississippi in the history of their school. Okay. SEC school. Absolutely. Right? And now he's a first round pick and Chad's going to beat him out. I mean, come on, come on, Craig, that doesn't happen without the Lord. Right. No. And so he just went in there and like, God be God. He didn't care what the odds were. He didn't care the setbacks that he's had his whole life and whole career, but yet here he is. He's still on that stage. He's come back from another reconstructive ankle injury. Lubby Smith takes him to Houston and his story's not over. And nobody listening, your story's not over either. Just keep listening to God, get on your knees, read his word, let God be God. And I promise you his glory will be revealed in your life
1: yeah there's more chapters to come in all of our lives. that's for sure, but that's an interesting story about laquan Treadwell. he really struggled with the vikings uh kind of turned out to be a bust as a as a top draft pick, just struggled catching the ball. he really uh did not have a a very good stretch of time there. but let's talk about Chad real quickly because I talked to you about this off the air a little bit. You two guys, very similar in stature but we talked about how Chad is probably a little more quick than you were, but not as fast as you were. You referenced playing an X receiver spot earlier back in your day. There wasn't that slot receiver like you see today. And now uh, your son, Chad, very much a a slot receiver. We saw Wes Welker back in the day. I know you mentioned that name. Uh, Wes Welker was one of the originals, maybe to me anyway, as far as a slot receiver is concerned, but, but talk about your two games and how they how they differ
0: somewhat. Yeah, so really yeah. So really when I went to the Bills in 89, we were a two-wide out system, which everybody really was at that time. It was really yeah. the K-gun offense in Buffalo mm. the following year in 90 that the original, really in my mind, one of the originals, if not the one, that certainly took it to a whole nother level was Andre Andre Reed. I For mean sure. he was our slot guy, he became a Hall of Fame guy, unbelievable, and we and it wasn't the West Coast offense that you see now, how we use these choice routes and, and all these different things that slot guys do. We were just no huddle, run it as fast as you can and run that defense into the ground. And uh, it, we weren't trying to outthink you. We were just out, out, outrun you. OK, and so yep. it, that's really kind of how it started. And, and I do agree. Wes Welker took that to a whole nother level of a slot guy. So, yes, me and Chad are completely different styles of wideout. I was more of an outside linear speed, run fast, 40 yard dash, comebacks, uh, go routes, posts, deep digs, slants. Uh, Whereas Chad is strictly a slot guy. He runs all those different routes underneath and um, a great red zone guy. So we were two different. He was, I've always said this that if you're just talking wide receiver skills, running routes, catching balls, understanding the game, Chad's a better receiver than I was. I could run. My gift was I could run. Uh, yeah. He's a great route runner. He's really smart. He catches the ball great in traffic, um, and he just has a better skill set. Uh, you know, so in that sense, we are two different um, individuals when it comes to wideout position. You know, it's funny. I get that question a lot about how'd you raise your son in a world of sports. Well, people might not believe this, but this is the truth we have never in our in our entire lives together as a father son have ever sat down and watched any of my games and people were like what mm. and then i said no no highlight videos no old super bowls no games and and the reason was is a i already knew the pressure on him was already going to be great he didn't need a mm. father to make it greater sure. uh, it, i could care less as my dad raised me son, I don't care if you play sports or whatever you do, just be the best that you can be. doesn't mean you have to be the best. Just be the best that you can be. That means work hard. And so that's the way I was raised, and that's where I was going to raise my kid. And I said, son, listen, I don't care if you ever play sports or football, or whatever it is, um, just be the best that you can be and work hard. And that's the way Chad was. Uh, and even at an early age, you could see that he was extremely gifted. At seven years old, this kid was gifted. Uh, you could tell. And so um, I, I never pushed it on him. I always wanted to make it fun for him. We'd always play games and stuff like that. It was a dad giving him the, the, the greatest commodity that we can give our kids is time. It's the most important commodity that you can give your kids your time. So when oh, you man. come home from work, don't grab the remote. Don't go into your den. Uh, I remember uh, a story. Um, oh, gosh, the name is slipping my mind. Josh McDowell. I don't know if it was Josh McDowell or not, um, but anyway, he was getting ready for a, a talk, a speech. And he was in his den working and his kid is, I think in high school or middle school said, dad, let's go out the backyard and throw, you know, whatever they're going to do. And, yeah. and he says, son, I got to, I got a speech tomorrow in such and such a time. I got to, I got to get ready and prepare. And his wife came to the door and I'll never forget this. His wife says, if you don't spend time with him now, you probably won't be able to spend time with him later. Great advice. It's cats in the cradle. It's all over. Yeah. again. Right? And boy, did that resonate with me at a young age. And I was not going to be that distant dad. I was not going to be that guy that that my job was going to be more important than my kids. Wasn't going to happen. Um, so I was around my kids all the time. And that's why I got a great relationship with my son and my three daughters. Um, and we never really talked football much until he got a little bit older, mm. uh, sophomore year in high school. I remember it. And we had a conversation. And I just asked him, I said, so what do you want to do after high school? He goes, well, I want to play football. And I was thinking, and remind you now, when he was a freshman, he was 5'1", right. 106. He was 5'4", So he was really small. And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, oh, boy. I said, at what level? He goes, well, I want to play in the biggest stadiums possible, dad. I said, so you want to play D1? He goes, yeah. And I was thinking to myself again, oh, boy. You know, and I said, okay. I said, if that's what you want to do, son, I'll help you. Do You want your father to help you? He says, "Man, that would be great." So we set out on a mission, and I was fully fledged in the house of speed at that time, training athletes. But I never really, you know, took the time to train him. You know, always played games and had fun. Uh, so then it got serious. That's what he wanted to do, and so I trained him his last three years and throughout his college career. Uh, what it was going to be like to be an explosive athlete and play wide receiver at a high level. And um, but boy, I will tell you, I told him. I said, "Listen, son. I'm I'm not going to wake you up. I'm not going to force you to set your alarm. I'm not going to push you to get off that couch and let's go work out. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it yeah. one time. You're going to get me off the couch. You're going to wake me up in the morning. Yes. Hey, let's go, Dad. And boy, did he ever. Yeah. He, he just he. You could see the passion. And I was like, okay, I'll help a kid that does that. You know.
1: Yeah. Oh, so, Speaking- and that's. Speaking of helping kids, uh, you referenced the House of Speed and anybody uh, locally here in uh, the Green Bay area and knows all about your former business that's no longer, but it was called Don Beebe's House of Speed, uh, not too far from Lambeau Field, actually. And uh, let's talk about that business real quickly. You uh, helped over 200,000 youth athletes, high school athletes, college athletes. Uh, I got some specific questions about speed that I wanted to ask you about, but... Uh, but talk about that training facility uh, as we're visiting with Don Beebe today on episode 34 of the Sports Faith podcast. Uh, talk about the house speed a little bit and and just uh, what that meant to you. That's something that you did immediately after playing in the NFL. The transition from uh, the bright lights of the NFL, you you turned it in uh, to some of your passion, obviously helping uh, athletes get faster, get stronger. Uh, talk about that business and how rewarding that was for you.
0: Sure. So it was uh it was the uh, the winner of ninety-eight. So we just came out of the Super Bowl with the Packers. We lost to the Broncos in Super Bowl thirty-two. And I knew that my time in Green Bay was up. John Gruden was with the Raiders at that time. He contacted my agent and he wanted me to come fly out to Oakland, and this would have been now in late April. And and I was all ready to do that. And I just really praying hard through this. We had three kids at that time. Uh now we have four, but um and I thought, golly, do I really want to uproot my family again, Lord? Do I want to go to Oakland and keep playing for me? What's best for my family? What's best for you know my relationship with my wife and all that stuff? And and so I prayed through that. And it took me, it took me about, oh, three months. I kept training with Dr. Shoot. My my guy was training me. And it was, it was, it was May that I was supposed to get on this flight then. And I just told my agent, I said, no, nah, I'm not gonna go. I'm done. I'm gonna retire. And so I retired. Uh, one week later, I'm off to lunch with the guy that was training me, Doctor Shoot, and he goes, "Well, what are you going to do with your life?" I said, "Well, I know one thing: I want to work with kids, and I know another thing: I want to use that platform to glorify God." And um, and so he's and I said to him, "I said, you know, Doc, you've been doing this for a while, but he really didn't do it at a high level." I said, "And, and granted, nobody in certainly the Chicago area was training athletes in 1998. Nobody was speed mm-hmm. trained." OK, there's weightlifting guys and stuff like that, but no speed training. And and I said, you know, Doc, let's just do what you've been doing with me and run a business. So I go home, tell my wife and I, and I go, we got to incorporate. I got to come up with a name. And I, and I was telling my wife, I said, man, I always loved the House of Pain. House of Pain was kind of a catchy thing. And she goes, why don't you just call it House of Speed? And I said, babe, that's it right there. That's all. it was. is. She got the naming rights. So anyway. <laughs> not that it meant anything so we one week later june 1st of 1998 we started house of speed uh training athletes five kids in the first class three of them were mine and dr shoots and we blossomed to within six months we're doing national speed camps around the country from salt lake city to new york and it was it got huge to the point where uh in to the mid-2000s we opened it up to franchising we had 24 franchises across the country matter of fact our, one of our original franchises was right there in Green Bay with Scotty Smith. He was running the House of Speed there. Um, yes. And, and now it's called Synergy. Synergy Sports. Yep. Uh, you know, for the listeners, and I don't put a plug in because I, I have no tie to this whatsoever. It's all Scotty's business. Let me just say this. If you're, if you're a kid that wants to get faster and quicker from a high-quality trainer that has a high character, Billy Schrader's over there helping him out too as well. Yep, And I would go to Synergy. What a great organization. What a great facility. And Scotty does an amazing job. But last, once I got the job at Aurora University, um, it was just too much. I hear I'm trying to run a business and then be a head football coach in college. I tried it for about a year a year and a half. And then last July uh, or last year, I, I closed the doors of House of Speed. We no longer do any House of Speed. There's no House of Speeds anywhere anymore. And, uh, but we put the whole House of Speed system into Aurora University. So we train athletes at Aurora University, just like we trained over 100 guys we put in the NFL, from Tony Romo to Michael Turner to Robert Quinn, the great DN of the Chicago Bears. I personally trained all of them. And, um, and so we, yeah, so we got that whole system at AU. And, um, and boy, I'll tell you, Craig, I, I loved, I loved training House of Speed because it allowed me to impact the youth in young athletes. However, it wasn't enough. I wanted to be more involved on a more intimate level on a daily day basis Mm -hmm. with, with young athletes. And so I became a head football coach at Aurora Christian high school in 2004. I did that 10 years as the head coach, four more years as an assistant coach. So I could go watch my son play uh, in, in high in college. And then in 18, I sat out the whole year of coaching and then, still did House of Speed, and then took the job in 19 at Aurora University. So uh, coaching, i got to tell you, it's been said, and I really believe this is true, that a coach can impact more people in one day than most people will do in a lifetime. And that is really, really true. Uh, And I don't ever want to take that for granted. I'm not going to stand in front of the Lord one day, which we all will. Like it or not, you're going to stand in front of the Lord and he's not going to say, hey, Don, great job. of All those wins and all those things. No, he's going to say, you know what? I brought Johnny to you in 2022. What'd you do with him? Hopefully he told him about me. You know, so we pray every day together. We quote scripture every day together. I don't push my faith on anybody because it's not about me. It's not about my timing. This is all about the Lord and his timing. All I do and all I'm called to do is plant seeds. And that's what I do. And yeah. then nurture those seeds as God sees fit. Yeah,
1: God does not care about wins and losses, <laughs> no. you know, he just doesn't. Uh, it's more about the way you play the game and not just the game on the field, but obviously uh, the game that we play in our lives. Uh, but what a ton of success you've had. State championships at the high school level. You just talked about Aurora Christian High School, but you haven't lost a conference game. I got 18-0 and 0 down here at Aurora, 20-5 and 5 overall. Um, just an amazing job you've done there. And uh, did you know you are going to get into coaching at some point, though? Did, when, when, did it, when did it hit you? Like, you know what? Yeah, I think you just kind of mentioned it a little bit when you were with your host of speed. Yeah. And wanted to make a difference. But did you know early on, even when you were a player, did you ever think, you know, I, I'd like to be a Mike Holmgren type guy?
0: Yeah. You know, I knew at seven when I got saved. I knew it, I knew what being saved was. I knew what it was to ask God into your heart and really mean it. Romans 10.9 says, you know, confess with your mouth. But the second part is most important. Part And that's believe in your heart.
1: Yep. Okay? Okay. Yep.
0: And, and so I just didn't want it to be words. I meant it. And so at seven, I knew two things. I knew I wanted to play sports and I knew I wanted to play for him. And then as I went through my career, as I was going through my career and then I was ending my career, I was like, I know I want to impact athletes or youth through sports. I didn't know where that was going to turn. Coaching was certainly a part of that, uh, but it developed into the house of speed and um, and and I did that for six years. Well, we did it for 23. But that first six years, I was just I was just being, becoming restless, and and God drew me into coaching. And so mm-hmm. I went over to Roar University or Roar Co- uh, Christian High School. I did that for 14 years. I did it as a volunteer coach. Uh, I didn't do it to make money. I didn't do it to I you know I just wanted to coach. Uh, and boy, I loved it. I absolutely loved every second of it. And now that I'm at Aurora University, same thing. I just know that I'm called to be a coach. And um, and I love every aspect. You know, it's funny. You hear this said quite often. Um, I've never worked a day in my life. I have never worked a day in my life. And I can honestly say that. Uh, even though football coaching is a grind and I love the grind, I know at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day what my true mission is. It's not about football. It's not about winning games. It's about winning lives through sports, through football. And I never want to lose that perspective because when I do it, if I ever did, then it would become a job.
1: And I don't want to work. No, no. Not many people can say that when you can yeah. do something and it's not work or you don't consider it to be work, that's a, that's a big win. But i got to touch on a couple more things here before we wrap up. I want to talk about your book real quickly, Six Rings from Nowhere. I love the title. You played in six Super Bowls, four in a row with Buffalo. By the way, I don't think we'll ever see, and it hasn't happened since, but I don't think we'll ever see a team reach the Super Bowl four years in a row. I know Dallas won three out of four, but they didn't play in four in a row. And I think New England at one point, they won three out of four as well, but they did not play in four in a row. Unbelievable feat, but six rings. It makes sense. You've been in the Super Bowl six times. You won one of them. Uh, Talk about that book a little bit and the fact that There's a motion picture, motion movie, TV series potentially coming up about your life. Talk about those two things.
0: Yeah. So uh, first with the book, I never thought I was a book guy. never thought I was a movie guy. Uh, I just always thought I was a common guy, which I am. Um, But God had a different story. So after we won the Super Bowl, uh, I had a lot of people tell me before the Super Bowl that we won in Green Bay, man, you need to write a book. You need to tell your story. (laughs) That's just a crazy story. You know, and I just gave you, a, I just gave you a Reader's Digest today, right. right? But, and then after we won and I had more prominent people from the governor of Wisconsin to people like that were saying, you need to write a book. Yeah. And so I just started reaching out to people and we, and, and then uh, we did a one book. Um, it was called More Than a Ring mm. uh, that was done in 97. It was written in three days. Uh, the publisher went bankrupt and it was just, you know, it was, it got out and it shared a message. It was great. And then we redid it, um, well, a few years back now, uh, by Denise Crosby, who is a, a great writer of the Sun-Times, Chicago Sun-Times, mm. and, uh, just a wonderful lady. And she wrote it and we titled it Six Rings from Nowhere. And I remember the first time I heard that from, uh, Jim Gibson, who was kind of the marketing guy of the whole project. And I said, well, I didn't win six Super Bowls. I went to six Super Bowls. He goes, no, you got six rings. Yeah. Because whether you win or lose, you get a ring. And I said, well, that makes exactly. sense. So it's yeah. not it's not titled after I've won six Super Bowl rings. It's I've got six rings, which I do. Um, so we titled nice. six rings from nowhere because I came from nowhere. And so then it morphed into uh, we're going to do a movie on this. And I had worked with a, a company called Desert Wind for three years. I had a three-year contract with them. It could never get funded. And, and, you know, and and these are times where you think, God, why are we delaying this? Why are we not allowing this to happen and stuff like this? And, but I always come back to, I'm not questioning, even though God's okay if we question, just so you know, God's okay if we question because he understands we're just humans and we're going to question and our human nature is to question all the time. But at the, at the, at some point in time, you got to get to the point to just say, I throw up my hands and just say, you know what? I I know you're in control. So I'm going to rest in that. And I do. And so we moved on from that group. Thank goodness we did because some things came out a little bit later that I wouldn't have been comfortable with because I've always said this when I've met with producers, the first meeting, I always say this, I don't care how much money we make, you make, or maybe I make. I said, if this does not tell the story, what Jesus Christ has done for me in my life and we turn it into a Hollywood story and make this a worldly thing, I'm out.
1: I want
0: final say. I want final say in this movie, and, and you uh, should, and you yes. should, and and I wanted to tell the story. I don't want to tell lies. I don't. I want to tell the truth of what really, really happened. And then the message is clearly the gospel. Period. So, thank goodness it fell through with the other one. So I'm now working with this guy named Dan Merrill uh, and Scott down in Nashville, and um, having a having an agreement with them that they want to turn this. And it's funny because now my son is involved Mm. and now the delay in my mind, I think is part of that. Now they want to turn it into the father son story. Yeah. And, uh, and what he's persevered and what he's gone through and the setbacks that he's gone through, but yet he's still standing in the league. Crazy. Um, and so now that that's where that's at, the plan is, and I just had a meeting in Nashville, um, a week and a half ago uh, with them sitting down for lunch and going over things. So the the plan is to do a more of a documentary type thing on that story. So we'll see where that, where God takes that.
1: Boy, that sounds exciting. We'll definitely keep our eyes open for that. But, uh, yeah, the father, son thing, that, that definitely be a good tie in uh, for what you're trying to produce there for sure. And lastly, we're going to close with this. And, uh, you know, I reach out to friends before podcasts. Sometimes a lot of Packer friends, Packer fan friends, I guess you'd say Um, they'll throw some things my way when I ask them, Hey, what questions do you want me to ask? And I didn't get a ton of replies, but one reply that I did get, and it was already in my notes already that I had to ask you about, but I got to ask you about the Mike Holmgren Halloween prank, we'll call it. So you, and I think Frankie Winters and Brett, and I don't even know who else was with you guys, but you can watch this on YouTube. I checked out a couple years ago. And you guys went trick or treating basically with Packer jerseys on and masks and the whole nine yards. You were concealing your identity, and uh, it's so funny because you went to Mike Holmgren's home, and he had no clue. I don't think he knew what was going on, who you guys were. But, but talk about that. Who came up with the idea? And and maybe just take us through the story real quickly here as we wrap up with you uh, today, Don.
0: Sure. So I had I had a TV show in Green Bay. It was called the Don Baby Show, which is Kind of crazy, but I agreed to do it if it would not be strictly an X's and O's football show. I wanted to do more of like a David Letterman or uh, you know unique things that players do. So it gives the fan an insight of what players do outside of football. Right. right. So we did the Gilbert Burger at Wendy's or Burger King. I remember uh, that. Yeah, we did Leroy Butler when he signed his huge deal of four million dollars. I think it was that he got as a signing bonus, and we went to the bank to show him what that looked like. And, <laughs> and with, when Brett came on the show, we had Brett come in, and it was Halloween. And I and I thought with the producers, I said, "You know, let's go trick or treating at Holmgren's house. We'll wear we'll wear a whole get up. He he won't really recognize us hopefully. And Brett, you wear my jersey, and I'll wear yours. And Frankie wore his. Okay. Mm. So and we had all our kids, and that was the confusing part. He yeah. He, if we would have just went the three of us, I think he would have said, okay, guys. But we had all these kids, all of our kids. We had. Like I remember six. now. Yes. Yep. Well, so we, we walk up and it was perfect timing because it was right at seven o'clock where it was supposed to end and he had just ran out of candy. And so we walk up to the door, knock on the door, the cameras are rolling and the cameras were more of a, a smaller camera. So it wasn't like this big, you know, ABC or NBC camera. Right. Um, it was a smaller video camera, and and he answers the door. I mean, come on, Mike Conkin's going to answer the door. You think his wife would have, right, or his daughter? Yes. But he answers it, and he, you think he'd be watching film or something, right? Oh, gosh, no doubt. And so <laughs> I go. Dude, our kids scream out, "Trick or treat!" And he goes, "Oh, I'm so." And his attention went right to the kids. I'm so sorry, we don't have any candy. I'm. We just ran out, and I was like no candy at the coat. The Packers coach doesn't have candy. I said, you got to have some candy. And he was like, no, we don't have any candy, sir. Sorry. And he was nice to me at first. And then I kept pressing him. If you notice, I kept pressing him and I started to step into the threshold of the door. And he put his elbow into my chest or shoulder area. And he said, sir, I told you we have no candy. And he was adamant. And that's when I said, okay, I better break the ice here. Cause this is about to get, ugly. So I said, I said, is Coach Gill here? Does he have any candy? And what people don't know is, earlier that day, I knew Coach Gill, and and Coach Gill was the whiteout coach. And I told Thank him, you. and they were best friends; they were high school buddies, Holmgren and Gill. Yeah. And, and Gill Haskell was his name. So
1: yeah. I knew he
0: was gonna. I knew he was gonna be there. At he's oh, this is great. I'll be there. He told me, I said, perfect. So and as soon as I said that, he looked at me and he goes, oh, you got to be kidding. And that's when he said, and then I ripped up the mask and everything of this nature. That was awesome. Yep. funny part about this, and this will, I'll just wrap this up, is the the neck, because you remember in the video, he said, I'm going to get you. Frankie, I'm going to get you. Oh,
1: yeah. He did say that. Yeah. next
0: day, he comes with two big bags and they're folded up. You don't know what's in the bag, right? And he's in a whole black leather suit with a, with a headpiece over his face and he's got long hair all the way down to his you know lower back, Right. And he walks in his back door that he always walked in because nobody else went into that door. That was Mike's home. That's his door, right? Yeah. And to the back hallway to his office. So he comes in, we're all in there, team meeting, eight o'clock next morning. And he starts running the meeting for like 10 minutes. And then at the end of that meeting, he goes, and for you blankety blank guys that came to my house last night, here's your blankety blank candy. And he starts whipping the candy at us, you know, and he turns (laughs) around and he walks into the wall. He missed the door. He had to adjust his mask. You <laughs> so can see, yeah. And the funny part about this whole thing, I know all Packer fans remember Travis Jersey, Jer- Jervy. Yep, Travis Jervy, great guy, very explosive. I hate to say this because I don't want to dumb as a bag of stones. I mean, he was <laughs> a fucking smart guy uh, and c- no common sense. And he looked over at Farb and he goes, "Was that Holmgren?" For 10 minutes, he didn't know that was really, truly, home. really. And he was dead serious. And boy, did did Favre go off on him.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember Jervy, very fast individual. Speaking of speed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So here's a funny story here. It was, I I go to the Green Bay Packers. I was 31 years old. And the first day I sign, I'm going over to the Don Hudson Center and they're doing their own little pro day. They're timing all the guys in the 40 and the pro, pro agility and all this stuff just to test guys, right? So I walk in there and and the whole day's done. Well, the top four times were Brian Satterfield, another running back, 441. Mm-hmm. Travis Jervey ran a 438. Billy Schrader ran a 435, and I ran a 425. So the four fastest times were white guys. Now, this is the funny part about it. We all get back to the over to the locker room, and Reggie stands up. And only how Reggie can do this, right? God yes. rest his soul. Oh, I love that man. He said, today was the most embarrassing day in black history. We <laughs> had four white guys beat all of us. What? Are- and he just went off. <laughs> it was just <laughs> erupted. But it's just a, an amazing, amazing human being. I'm glad I got to talk about Reggie because yeah. everything that you saw was really who he was. Yeah. He, he just didn't talk the talk, man. That guy no. walked the walk. And mm-hmm. I had a long conversation, an hour and 20-minute conversation a week before he passed. And it is a conversation I will never forget. I'll keep it private between me and him. Uh, but I will—I can't wait to see Reggie again soon.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what, without Reggie White? Yeah. You know, Brett Favre said earlier, we don't win the Super Bowl without Don Beebe. I don't know if the Packers win a Super Bowl without Reggie White. Yeah, three sacks in the second half. I mean, that was a huge... Know, Huge on Drew
0: Bledsoe, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Reggie was just, an am- you know, it's funny. And that, and this is what I missed the most about the NFL. You know, certainly the game and coming out of the tunnel, those are all. But that's not what I really, really truly miss. What I really miss is the camaraderie of the guys. We had a great group that met Monday morning's Bible study, Wednesday night couple study that my wife and I actually at that time, because it was eighth year in the league, that we led a couple study Bible study. Saturday night live in Reggie's room that we all got together and prayed for an hour of prayer before the game. Yeah. And then Sunday morning we had chapel. We were meeting four times a week as, as, as followers of Christ, man. I got to tell you, Craig, those are the times I missed the most. Yeah. And I don't think every professional team football
1: specifically that we're talking about is like that either. No,
0: no. We right. had it in Buffalo too. We had a great group in Buffalo.
1: And I'm sure yeah. you did. Yeah. And that's what made it special. That's what makes it special. Yeah, no doubt. Well, what a great visit. This has been Don Beebe, our special guest, former NFL player, Buffalo Green Bay, and a little bit of time in Carolina, a Super Bowl champion. But I want to thank you for your time, Don. Been a pleasure. One of our great podcasts, I can say it already, and I haven't even looked back at it. We're going to shoot this baby up on our YouTube channel. And uh, we also have an audio version that people can download either through SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, is the way to get this one, but you definitely want to check this one out. And and uh, as you are right now, our listeners and followers are are going to greatly enjoy what you had to say today, Don. Thank you so much for your time and uh, some great advice, some great biblical advice, and just a great overview of your career and some of the great things you've done and continue to do as the head coach there at Aurora University in Illinois.
0: That was my honor, Craig. Uh,
1: thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks again, Don. And until next time, I'm Craig Bone with your Sports Faith Podcast. That was episode number 34. Until next time, have a great day and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Don. See you.